Well, we are in this series we're calling Pray, Talking with Our Father, and uh, we have Bibles in the back if you want to look up the Scripture yourself, so they'll bring one right to you. Just raise your hand, and uh, you can all look together with me in Matthew chapter 6. So who needs a Bible? Just raise your hand. Here they come. And uh, we want you to have one. If you need it, you can take it home with you because we want you reading the God's Word just like Cole to say, hey, I need to try to read some every day. And uh, we're looking at this prayer that's really Jesus' model prayer when the disciples came and said, Lord, teach us to pray. They had watched him pray. They had heard him pray. Then he said, teach us to pray. And they, so this is the prayer he gave them. And we're up to the phrase that says, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Then, of course, the Greek word there is uh, translated debts. It's translated uh, uh, trespasses. It's translated sins. It's the same word. And uh, so uh, we're going to look at uh, this little phrase in the prayer today. Forgive us our debts. You know, we all need forgiveness. Sometimes, sometimes we need more than we know. Um, Brennan Manning was is, is an author. He wrote a book called The Ragamuffin Gospel. He was born in 1934 in New York, so he grew up uh, poor uh, during the Depression in New York City. He went on to become a Marine, served in the Korean conflict, and then he came home and went to school and became a Catholic priest. And he committed himself to serving the poor. And he wrote this book, The Ragamuffin Gospel. Somewhere in there as he was getting started, he realized, I have a drinking problem. So he voluntarily checked himself into a 28-day program, uh, treatment program to sober up and to learn to manage his drinking. And so early on in that program, they would sit in a circle with a leader and uh, everybody in the group would talk uh, about whatever issue was brought up. They would talk about the extent of their drinking. Well, they went around the circle and they came to this one businessman named Max and when it came time for him to talk, he says, well, he says, I never really drank all that much. And, uh, you know, denial is more than just a river in Egypt. And uh, so uh, they said, Max, you know, you are, in a, you are court ordered to be here in an alcohol treatment center for a month. You weren't sipping soda. <laughs> tell, us about the, tell us the truth. Admit it. He says, no, no, I'm being honest with you. I really didn't drink all that much. And uh, so when they went in the program, they all had to sign an affidavit that said the people in charge can track down anybody, ask any question, do whatever they have to to get information to help you. So the leader said, well, I, I'm going to call the bar close to your office and see if they can corroborate your story. So they got the bartender on the phone and the leader said to him, do you know Max so-and-so? He says, oh, he says, he's like a brother to me. He's here every day after work. He has six martinis as a minimum. <clears throat> I mean, the guy drinks like a fish. He's the best customer we have in the whole bar. Rest of the group looks all at Max. Max goes, okay, I guess I drink a lot. A little later than the group, they're asking the question, have you ever hurt anybody, a family member or a friend while you were drunk? And uh, some people began to describe their experiences. And then, of course, it gets around to Max. And they look at Max and he goes, I would never, ever hurt anybody. Not when I'm sober, not when I'm drunk. I have four lovely children and I love my wife. I would never hurt her or my kids. The leader said, you know, Max, that sounds a little too good to be true. Let's call your wife. And so they get her, Max's wife on the phone, and Max starts to breathe heavily. I mean, he knows something's coming that he's unwilling to face. And the leader says, you know, Mrs. So-and-so, has Max ever mistreated you or anyone in your family uh, when he was drunk? And she said, well, yes, he has. In fact, it happened just last Christmas Eve. 
He took our nine-year-old daughter out uh, Christmas shopping on Christmas Eve in the afternoon, and he bought her a new pair of shoes. He's a generous man. And on the way home from the mall to home, he happened to go past the bar, and the little girl sitting in the front seat playing with her shoes, but he saw some of his buddy's cars at the bar, and so he pulled in just to say hello. It was a cold, wintry day. It was 12 degrees outside with a high wind chill, and he made sure all the windows were rolled up uh, uh, snugly and he left the car running and the heater blowing and he said honey I'll be right back I'll be right back you just play with your new shoes and he went into the bar and he started drinking with his buddies and he lost track of time and when he finally came out it was after midnight and the vehicle had shut off because it had run out of uh, gas and uh, it had all gotten frosted over and locked and uh, so the little girl could not get out of the car and when they got the car open, they immediately rushed her to the hospital, and she had to have a thumb and forefinger amputated because of the frostbite, and her ears were damaged by the cold, so she will never hear again. She'll be deaf the rest of her life. Now, as Max's wife was describing this on the phone, Max literally falls off his chair. He's convulsing on the ground. He just couldn't bear admitting what he had done. I mean, he couldn't face it. And um, he was trying to live in this fantasy world of denial about what he had done. Now, why do, why do I tell you this story? Just to try to depress everybody here? Um, no, I'll tell you why. If we had the time and the courage and took a microphone and passed it up and down each row, every one of us, if we were open and honest with ourselves, I'm guessing every one of us would have something that we would share where we have hurt other people deeply and need to be forgiven. Because we all need forgiveness. We all need forgiveness. And you probably didn't put a kid in the hospital. I mean, maybe the only wounds that, you, that other people have, that you've inflicted were emotional ones. But maybe you did it on purpose or maybe you didn't realize you were doing it. You just weren't aware Maybe you had such huge needs that you were hurting so much yourself that you just hurt somebody else. And Jesus said here, pray like this. Forgive us our debts. Forgive us our sins. Forgive us our trespasses, our shortcomings. Sinning puts people on the wrong side with God. We all need forgiveness sometimes. Sometimes more than we know. So Jesus tells his followers, pray for forgiveness. God's people pray for forgiveness to maintain their relationship with God or to begin their relationship with God. If you've never come to him and just said, God, I am sorry, I have really messed it up. I have blown it. I have sinned. I need your forgiveness. Please trade me my sin for your forgiveness, my burden for your, uh, uh, your help, my brokenness for your wholeness. You could do that today, just like that in prayer, just to invite him into your life. But it's a fact that people hurt people. I mean, it's, if, if you're alive and interacting with people, people get hurt. And uh, when you're hurt, how you handle it to a large degree determines your happiness in life. And if you don't respond appropriately to a hurt, if you hold on to it, it turns into resentment. And resentment destroys relationships. It, it can eat up emotional energy in such large quantities if you're just hanging on to all that stuff and deciding, I got to keep score, I got to get even, I got to, I got to make sure that you know I came out on top on that. I mean, you have nothing left to give. And the good news is that you can recover from resentment and get over the hurts in your life. Jesus said, "Forgive us our debts." And then he went on to say, "As we forgive our debtors." And what's he talking about the debts for? I mean, I didn't borrow any money from God. Did you? I mean, he's not talking about money here. 
He's talking here about receiving forgiveness from God and offering forgiveness to others. I mean, here's how God and the Bible look at forgiveness. Here's the definition of forgiveness. It's canceling a debt. It's canceling a debt. It's like when somebody hurts you, they give you an IOU. They owe you a debt, but instead of collecting, you cancel it. You say, you don't owe me anymore. I forgive you. See, sin is like a debt. It needs to be paid for. Somebody's got to be punished for the wrong. Justice will be served. When you forgive, you're canceling the debt. So we cancel that IOU that somebody owes you because they hurt you. It seems like a lot to ask, doesn't it? They, they hurt me. I, I should get to, to hold a grudge and to be angry and to remember the hurt and to get even. It's only fair. Well, God dropped all the charges against us. In fact, he paid the penalty himself. We don't owe him anything once we receive his forgiveness. And this topic of forgiveness is so important that after Jesus concluded the prayer, just in case they didn't get it, he came back exactly to this phrase. Look at verse 14. If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. If you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Forgiveness is a big deal to Jesus. It says if you don't forgive, if you don't cancel that debt, if you don't give up your right to get revenge, your heavenly Father will not forgive your sin. I mean, without God's forgiveness, you'll not be going to heaven. You won't be spending eternity in his presence. That's a scary thought that there's something that we can do that will cause God uh, to, to withhold his forgiveness from us. So God treats forgiveness as very serious business. God says you must forgive. It's not an option. And you say, but you don't know what so-and-so did to me. That's true, I don't. Michael Williams wrote a commentary on the book of Matthew, and here's what he says on this passage. This passage does not teach that humans must forgive others before they receive forgiveness themselves. Rather, forgiveness of others is proof that that disciple's sins are forgiven and they possess salvation. If we don't forgive, it's evidence that we haven't experienced forgiveness ourselves. Forgiving others is proof of our being forgiven. And yet this is hard for us to do, isn't it? I mean, sometimes I think I'm doing well with the area of forgiveness and then I go sorting through an old drawer of pictures or something silly like that, you know, where you, you look back at an old journal and you see people's names and it brings something to mind and you see their, you know, some, you know, some of the pictures you see smiles and happy faces and oh, they've gone from brown to, to beautiful gray hair and oh, oh, how they've changed or other things that have caused, you know, things to happen. But then in some of them there's, there's things that you realize, wow, I didn't know I still had a bruise there or that there's a scar or a painful wound. And then once again, the difficulty of forgiving surfaces again. What do you do? I think you take it fresh back to Jesus because our forgivenesses are so imperfect and we need help. And forgiveness, you see, is, is not the same as forgetting they're not. I mean, you've heard it say forgive and forget. Well, forgiving is hard and forgetting is probably impossible. Right? I mean, even Willie Nelson talked about the saying about it. Forgiving you is easy, but forgetting seems to take the longest time. <laughs> I just keep thinking your memory is forever on my mind. And then he says it about 18 more times. You know, but <laughs> what, what forgiveness deals with here is not the memory. The forgiveness is dealing with the pain and the hurt associated with the memory. Do you know why God commands you to forgive? 
It's not for the other person. God tells you to forgive for you. He tells us to forgive for us, not for their sake, for our own sake. It's a miraculous gift from God where he's saying, keep short accounts. Don't collect all that stuff. Don't carry it around with you like extra baggage. Let it go. In October, Cindy was talking to somebody, and I, I got home. She says, you know, I this cool idea somebody gave me today. On the 1st of October, they're going to sort and pitch one thing out of their house. On the 2nd of October, they're going to throw away two things. On the 3rd of October, they're going to throw away three things. On the 4th of October, we're going to throw away four things. On the 5th of October, you, you see the trend? Okay, by the end of the month, if you do that, if you keep up, you throw away 496 things. Did you know that March also has 31 days? Just, just say it. And, um, uh, you know, some people are way better at sort and pitch than other people. Other people love to, to collect and to have and to hold till death do us part. And, uh, you know, some, some of us keep the wrong stuff. Got a garage full of trash and stuff that we would never need. And, 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 Forgiveness kind of works like this. You know, you stack all these stuff up, all these memories, all of this and all of that, and um, if we would just let go of more of it, our lives would be less burdened. So we cancel the debt that's owed to us, but we can't necessarily cancel the memory. What do you do? I think just like we just took the offering and you gave a gift to the Lord, have you ever thought of giving him a gift, not of money, but giving him a gift of those hurts or those memories? Say, God, I'm going to give this to you. I'm taking my hands off of it. It's yours. I don't want it back. Corey Ten Boom was, uh, wrote a book, The Hiding Place, and she was sharing her experience of extending forgiveness to somebody who had deeply hurt her. She, she lived during World War II, and she was from Holland. Her parents were not Jewish, but when they saw how Jewish people were being treat, treated, they hid some of them in their home. And as a result, her father and her mother and her sister and herself were all arrested and put into concentration camp. And her father died there, her mother died there, her sister died there. But after the war, Corey got out and she was traveling around, going from church to church, sharing her story about the power of the love of Jesus, even in very dark times. And then it happened. She wrote, it was in a church service in Munich that I saw him. Sitting in church was the former SS man who had stood guard at the shower room door in the processing center watching all the women undress. And suddenly it was all there, a room full of mocking men, the heaps of clothing, the pain on my sister's face. And after the church service, he came up to me as the church was emptying, beaming and bowing. How grateful I am for your message, Fräulein, he said, to think that, as you say, Jesus has washed my sins away. And he extended his hand. He thrust his hand out to me to shake mine. And I, who had preached so often to people about forgiveness, kept my hand at my side. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? 
Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. I, I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. I felt nothing, not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so again, I breathed a silent prayer. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. And as I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder along my arm and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him, while into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. And so I discovered that it is not on our forgiveness any more than on our goodness that the world's healing hinges. It's on Christ's. When he commands us to love our enemies, he gives along with the command the love itself and the power to love and the power to forgive. Now, in our world of school shootings and court cases of incredible abuse, would this work? This is not the way of the world. It's the way of Christ. And there must still be accountability. And people are still responsible for their actions. And Jesus takes nothing away from that. But he is dealing here with how we keep our heart pure and unfettered to fully follow God and to love the people God has placed around us. So forgiveness is not the same as forgetting. Forgiveness also does not mean restoring. You could choose to forgive someone, but that doesn't mean that you have to restore them to the same level of trust that you had before or return everything to just like it was before. I mean, trust like a bank account can be wasted in a moment, but it can only be built over time with hard work and wise decisions. So let's take a few minutes then to talk about how does this whole thing work? And here's some of what we need to do. How to become a forgiving person. Number one, Choose to never retaliate. Choose to never retaliate. God says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. I've heard you probably have too of a, a woman who sold her husband's new car for a dollar because she found out that he was cheating on her. So he caught him. She sold it. She got vengeance. It doesn't pay. God said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. Vengeance is the biblical word for making wrongs right or bringing justice into a situation. God isn't against vengeance. He's just against you and me getting revenge ourselves. He basically says, don't you do it. It's my job. I'll take care of it. Now, if you needed a, a heart surgery or a lung transplant, you wouldn't just pick your best friend to do that for you, would you, unless they happen to be a world-renowned surgeon in that area. How do you feel about putting your hands in the life of a surgeon? I mean, you'd want to ask that surgeon questions like, what's your track record? How many surgeries have you done before? Would you take the surgeon as yours if he said, oh, you would be my first one, but I graduated valedictorian of my class? No, you would not, nor would I. We wouldn't be satisfied. If we needed that surgery, we would want the best person for the job who'd had experience doing it. And God is the only one who has experience with and knows how to take care of vengeance successfully. So let God settle the score because he promised he would. Leave it in God's hands. You see, when you try to retaliate, you, you hurt the other person. You hurt yourself in the process and other innocents. So don't take it upon yourself to repay the wrong. One day, God's going to have the last word. 
and he is fair, and he is just. And fortunately for us, he's merciful. Second way to become a forgiving person is deal with it immediately. Deal with it immediately. Keep short accounts. Ephesians 4.26 says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. If you hold that anger inside, it gangrenes into resentment. If you hold on to that hurt, it, 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 hurt, it turns into hate. It gets much worse to deal with. It gets harder, not easier. So if you're upset with your spouse and you're in the middle of a fight, stay with it and resolve it. The fatigue might cause you to say, how many bullets do I really want to put into this fight? How badly do I want to stand on this hill and die? But resolve it. Do it quickly. Get it out of your life. Third thing is pray for those who hurt you. Jesus said this several times in the Bible. Also, it's included in the Sermon on the Mount. I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. I mean, look, here's what Jesus said to do when you've been hurt. And this doesn't come to us naturally. You wouldn't think of this by yourself. He says, love the person who hurt you. Pray for them, not against them. Lord, you can smack their teeth out if you want to. You know, it's, that's not the kind of prayer we're talking about here. He says, why? Because you have been adopted by God into his family. Your new family lives by different values than you lived by on your own. And you now are a son of God. You're now a daughter of God. Live by God's values, not by the values of the world. I was talking with Paul Eshelman recently, and he said he was rereading C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity. And then he said, you know, you've heard it said, hate the sin but love the sinner. Do you agree with that? Hate the sin but love the sinner? He said, C.S. Lewis was talking about that. Hate the sin, love the sinner. He said, that really works in my life, especially with one person in particular, me. I hate the sin and I love the sinner. And Jesus is saying, extend that same kind of grace and forgiveness and love to others, just like we do to ourselves. And then four is to let it go, to let it go, to not hang on to it. Some of us realize that we can look back and we're hanging on to hurts from five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, or longer because of the memories. We have these memories and we're hanging on to them and, and you have those thinking, maybe someday I'll get even. It's junk in the emotional garage. Get rid of it. I mean, how do you, how do you get that stuff clutter cleared out and get back to responding in a way that would be like Christ? You have to let it go. You know, the sort and pitch, it's so hard. And sometimes it's easier if I give it to a good cause. So I get a load up a truckload and I take it down to goodwill. And you know, sometimes they don't even want it. <laughs> it's junk. And I've kept it for how many years? Tripping over it, stepping over it, keeping it, trying to organize it and hanging on to it. It's hard work. In fact, when they don't want it, sometimes I'm tempted to just deliver it at night. You know, nobody's there to... After the first service, said, somebody said, came up and said, don't give it to Goodwill, give it to Salvation Army. So, well, where's the closest drop-off? You know, I'm just trying to offload, right? That's what we need to do with so, so many of these hurts. How do you give them to Christ? To say, Christ, you take this one. It's too big for me. I haven't been able to handle it. I don't have any use for it. It just keeps hurting me. Here, it's yours. And let it go. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. 
And what we're seeing here is God's people pray for forgiveness so they maintain their relationship with God and they forgive others as a proof of being forgiven by God. Here's something Brendan Manning said. He said, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and then they walk out the door and they deny him with their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. We want to be fully devoted followers of Jesus. And in this important area of forgiveness, he can be hard to follow. But his way is the best way. So when we apply this to ourselves, we need to make confession and seek forgiveness as a regular part of our, of our, of our day. And put it in your prayers. And then make an effort to truly forgive those who have harmed us for the sake of Christ and for our relationship with Him. Shall we pray? Dear Jesus, we thank You for the power of Your Word and the power of Your way to be people who forgive and to move beyond, to not store that stuff up, to keep ourselves open, to be filled with your love and joy and peace. And we can't do that if the shelves of our life are so filled with us and our brokenness and our anger and our bitterness and our it ain't fairs and a why did that have to happen. So I pray that you will give us the courage even today to do some of this difficult work, to be more honest than a max, to ask for forgiveness where we need it, to offer forgiveness where we have injured others, and in the process, to more closely follow you because you are our Savior and our God, and you love us and we love you. Thank you. Cleanse us, we pray. Amen. Take my life and make it wholly thine sail 